Hi everyone, welcome to the Sacred Musings podcast with me, Phil Saker. The aim of the game here is to try and understand what is happening in the world from a Christian perspective, to see what light the Bible can shed on these troubled times that we're going through. We've been focusing a lot on the lockdowns, but also on lots of other issues which are affecting society at the moment. I do hope that you enjoy it. Don't forget to subscribe if you like it. And you can also sign up on Telegram, t.me forward slash philsaker, and the link will be in the show notes, where there will also be links to the articles and things mentioned in the podcast, anything that's relevant. Now, on with the podcast. Hi everyone, welcome to Sacred Musings with me, Phil Saker, and it's episode 7 today on the 14th of October 2021, and today we're going to be thinking about safeguarding and safety culture, we're going to be thinking about the new expert at clarity, and we're going to be thinking about looking into the darkness and not being overly pessimistic. And just to let you know before we get going, by the way, that um, I've got something to be um, out to later this morning. I'm recording this in the morning, so um, I haven't got too much time. So I'm just going to try and get through these as as quickly as I can. But I hope that they'll still be uh, useful and helpful to you, sort of thought provoking for you to think about. Do comment below, join in with the discussion afterwards. Um, If you're on YouTube, by the way, um, I'm afraid um, podcasts don't have the comment facility. So um, you're welcome to listen on the podcast and then come over and add your thoughts on YouTube if you like. It's just the same, sort of um, exactly the same. Uh, apart from obviously the podcast is only audio, you don't get to see my lovely face. Um, so, you know, well done for that because um, that, anyway. <laughs> um, so first things first then, safeguarding. Um, safeguarding and safety culture. So last night I had um, my safeguarding session as a school governor. I'm a school governor and um, only recently. So um, I uh, had a, a session which was just kind of introducing us to Uh, the roles of school governors in holding the school to account in their safeguarding procedures. And that's all well and good. But, you know, safeguarding is something that I have to do quite a lot as a clergy, clergyman in the Church of England, and I expect other denominations have something similar, that I have to undergo regular safeguarding training every three years. And um, it's, it's interesting how this has kind of crept in in the last few years you know even 10 years ago I don't think you would have have had quite the same kind of safeguarding um, training and it does seem to me that as a society we have more and more this attitude now that nothing bad can happen you know nothing bad is allowed to happen and if something bad happens whether that be in a school or in society or you know something then we have to put some kind of red tape around it a fence around it so that it it can't happen again so we are we end up doing more and more red tape to prevent these things from happening and um, and that's why safeguarding is becoming such a burden now in, in i think because you know, we, we just want to stop everything bad from happening at all. And in many ways, that's that's motivated by a good desire. You know, obviously, none of us want to see children harmed. We don't want to see, you know, people getting into schools who shouldn't be there, who are abusers, and that, that kind of thing does happen, sadly. So, you know, we need to be kind of wise. We need to, to, be, um, to be careful. At the same time, I do feel like we've, we've just got things way out of proportion now uh, so think about something like Wayne Cousins for example you know the policeman who um, who killed Sarah Everard and obviously a hugely um, tragic thing um, 
And a lot of women are now saying that they feel unsafe. I've seen um, some of my um, friends on, on Facebook um, and the like on social media and people on social media just saying that they now feel unsafe, that women now feel unsafe. And I did think, well, this is one thing that, that happened. You know, I know that, um, you know, women um, have been killed in the past. It does happen, but it's still a very rare thing. You know, should, is it right for every woman to feel unsafe about doing you know going out because of one thing that happened and I just wonder if if the you know the the media have kind of whipped this up and and make everything seem so much worse than it actually is you know by, by just hammering a particular news story like this it all of a sudden affects everyone else and, and we all start to think that the world is a very dangerous place when actually that's not true um, a, a couple of years ago, back in um, August 2019, uh, on the Brendan O'Neill podcast, there was um, an interview with Lenora Scanazzi, and she's the founder of the Free Range Kids Movement. And um, she was talking about how um, she once let her nine-year-old son, he was nine at the time, I think, go and ride the New York subway home uh, because he wanted to. You know, he wanted to ride at home. There's no law against children riding the subway. Um, on their own and so she she let him go home on his own and he was fine and she didn't really think anything of this and then she she wrote an article about it and she, the pushback the you know the the um backlash from this was immense you know people really reacted strongly against her her doing this and so she's kind of written and thought about this this free range parenting and she was saying that you know again it's it's this role of the media that when she was young and when many of the you know her contemporaries were, were younger you know she used to walk to to school she used to walk to the bus stop get the bus on her own and it was all fine nothing bad happened and i'm sure many of us can relate to that i mean even when i was younger i used to walk sometimes to to school on my own to primary school to secondary school and it was all fine i used to walk into town you know whatever uh, and you know the 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 idea that everyone out there is a paedophile and everyone out there is a potential abuser that's come from the media and that's only you know parents only think that because they keep seeing these stories in the media about terrible things that happen and so so it gives the perception that the world is a very dangerous place and so it, it makes it seem kind of right that we should do this um, safeguarding because um, although these are very rare events it, it kind of doesn't seem like that um and you, you think about the lockdowns from that light. You know, you think about the role of the media in the lockdowns and how, you know, we had those pictures from China or which, you know, were purported to be kind of um, of what was happening in China. You know, people like falling down in the streets and you know, them spraying de um, disinfectant or whatever it was around the streets and so on. And I think people were terrified. And I think lockdown is just a, is just an extension of the logical endpoint of this idea, that uh, this safeguarding idea that we must keep people safe. You know that uh, the the logical endpoint is stopping anyone from doing anything dangerous, anything which might be dangerous to them or to others. Well, let's let's keep you all safe. Let's stop you from doing anything at all. You know, and then you'll definitely be safe. And and this is where I think, you know, lockdown has kind of come from. It's in this culture of safeguarding where we have to prevent anything bad from happening. 
Now, what what does the Bible have to say um, about this, about safety? You know, safety is a really important topic, and I've covered that a few times on the podcast and on, on the, the YouTube. But the, the message of the Bible really is that you can't fix broken people with more red tape. That at the end of the day, you know, red tape can be of some value. Um, I think in Wayne Cousin's case, I mean, how was it that um, someone who got a nickname as the rapist um, was allowed to be a police officer and no one kind of had a word with him about this or had a word with his superiors or, or anything like that? How could he have been allowed to do that? I think those are good questions and those are questions that should be rightly be asked. But you can't fix broken people with red tape that Wayne Cousins would not have been fixed by... Um, by the red tape even if he hadn't been allowed to be a police officer he would still have been out and about and um, perhaps something terrible would still have happened but he wouldn't have been able to use his police um, kind of um, role to, to, to do it but still you can't stop terrible things happening because people are broken and that's that is the issue and I it makes me think you know if we just simply trusted people to, to look out for each other and if we trusted people to do the right thing, then we could do away with safeguarding. And I know safeguarding is necessary because, um, you know, we, we can't, people do do wrong wrong and bad things. You know, we can't trust people completely, of course. But um, at the same time, I think, you know, if we just trusted people to kind of have a bit of common sense and, you know, to look out for each other, Surely we could get get you know get rid of almost all of the the safeguarding that we have, you know if if we listen to what was going on if we actually um, you know put put people's best interests at heart, and there wouldn't be any need for lockdown. Um, think about it, you know. I mean, I've said this before in the podcast as well that um, if if the government had just trusted us to do the right thing, then yeah, you, you know you wouldn't go and see someone vulnerable if they were in a very vulnerable group. Of course, you know, especially if you were not feeling well. But, you know, it, it should be up to us to determine the balance of risks and the balance of what is what is appropriate. You know, well, I think it's worthwhile, a worthwhile risk to take to see my family, to see my friends, to be at church um, and so on. You know, we should be able to take those risks into account and we should be able to judge that for ourselves. Um, so, yeah, I think safeguarding culture is actually, you know, I think it does come to an extent from a good place but i think it's trying to to solve the problem using the wrong means you know we can't fix um broken people with more red tape and that is the problem so the second thing i want to talk about today is um the new clarity and experts and i'm referring here to an article written by uh, Leighton woodhouse on the 5th of june called the new clarity on a Substack, and it's a really good article and um, I'm just going to quote a few bits from that article um, as our, uh, as we go and then I'll, I'll have a few thoughts about it. So the first thing that he goes to talk about is the, it's sort of from an American perspective, he's talking about Dr. Fauci and like how Dr. Fauci has become like this sort of saint saintly figure. Um, and uh, this is, and he sort of talks about how we got to this point and this is what he says. In the revolt of the public, 
Martin Gurry traces the exalted status of the modern scientist to the mythical figure of the early 20th century renegade scientific genius, embodied most famously by Albert Einstein. Einstein, Gurry reminds us, was hardly a creature of the academy. He nearly dropped out of high school, and when he began publishing his scientific insights, he was working not at a university, but at the patent office. But Einstein's singular genius, combined with his tenacious devotion to the truth, made him first the equal and then the superior of every credentialed academic in the world. Like Copernicus, the intrepidness of Einstein's spirit and the independence of his mind elevated him above the banal muck of human affairs, bringing him a step closer to the gods of nature. So Einstein kind of represented that scientific genius, the one who he had a devotion to the truth. He could perceive things that other people couldn't. And he, you know, he was able to, to kind of advance science and advance our understanding of, of the natural world. And his theories have kind of changed the world. Um, and um, yeah, so you know, the kind of the reverence that we hold people like Einstein Um uh, but the last 18 months, I mean, science has kind of evolved. And um, what's interesting is that the last 18 months, that um, the experts, the scientific experts and, and you know others, the politicians, they've been believed and lauded even when they've contradicted themselves. And that's what's interesting. So he goes on to say, more disturbingly, the edicts issued from Fauci's NIH have been greeted like pap papal encyclicals. When we were told that masks were useless against COVID for regular people and that each one you hoarded deprived a frontline caregiver of a life-saving shield, we were momentarily scolded and shunned for donning them. Fifteen minutes later, when your mask became the only thing standing between you and mass death, we were ostracised for accidentally leaving it in the car. Few asked questions about this 180 reversal, just trusting the expert's explanation that their understanding of the virus was evolving. I find this fascinating, you know, that when and this happened in the UK as well, of course, you know, back in March, April 2020, the government were telling us don't wear a mask. You know, the effect is probably tiny and um, they we, they may have negative consequences as well. So so don't don't wear one. And then, you know, in what late April, early May, they kind of backtracked completely and began to change and until they brought in the mask mandate. And then, from then on, masks kind of became the, the defining thing that was going to save us from the big bad COVID. And what I just found baffling about this was the way that people accepted it. You know, the way that in the early days of the pandemic, we were being told that they weren't worth much. And it wasn't even worth wearing one, despite the, the fact that, you know, people were dying in hospital. And then, um, when the government did a U-turn, people said, oh, okay. You know, well, they, they're worthwhile after all. And it's like, it, it even overrides people's own experience and logic. You know, I mean, I've, I've tried to say this to people in, uh, sometimes, that if you think about it, if you think, you know, that you're potentially infected and that you're breathing out these virus particles all the time, then what, you know, when you're wearing a mask, you should do something with it. You should wash it immediately. You shouldn't touch it, you, sh you know. Uh, there's just no logic to the mask wearing at all. And people just don't, you know, just wear them, you know, as if they're the thing which is going to save us. Um, it's become actually like um, Dr. Gary Sidley says, you know, from the Smile Free campaign, it's just become one of those behaviours, kind of like a superstitious behaviour 
I think. Um, I mean, I, I, yeah, I was talking with my wife about this, so as an aside, I think the mask mandates and everything, the lockdown, has just made us all ill, actually, um, mentally ill. I did a video, video about this, actually, um, a few few months ago. So the, the scientists and experts, they are like, um, you know, the, the mediators of the science. You know, they tell us what the truth is and they must not be questioned because they know, you know, they know the truth. They have access to this science. And this is despite the fact that this is just manifestly not how science actually works and how we understand things about, about the world. Um, so one more quote from the, the article. The scientific establishment, like the political establishment, is a human institution. It's not an impartial supercomputer or a transcendent consciousness. It's a bunch of people subject to the same incentives and disincentives that the rest of us are subject to. Economic self-interest, careerism, pride and vanity, the thirst for power, fame and influence, embarrassment at admitting mistakes, intellectual laziness, inertia and ad hoc ethical rationalisation as well as altruism, moral purpose and heroic inspiration. Scientific experts deserve the respect due to them by dint of their education and experience, and they deserve the scepticism due to them by dint of their existence as imperfect actors functioning in a complicated and deeply flawed human networks and organisations. If you believe in science, you don't bow to their authority, you don't transform them into living legends and teach your children to follow the example of their lives, you don't light votive candles to them and castigate anyone who dares doubt their infinite wisdom. I think that's absolutely brilliant and um, yeah, I do, I do commend the article to you but I thought that conclusion was a very powerful one. Um, but you know, it really makes me think that we are going back to medieval times. You know, we are going back to pre-Reformation times. I don't know how much you know about um, about the history of those times. I find it a really fascinating period in history. And I'm just actually reading a um, DMA McCulloch's, I'm not sure if I pronounced that right, but his biography of Thomas Cranmer, who was the first sort of Protestant Archbishop of Canterbury under Henry VIII. Uh, and you know around the time of the reformation it's a fascinating i love that that period of history um it just seems like god was acting in history in a really powerful and you know amazing way and it's something that we need again but you think back to to them prior to the reformation the bible was not available in the vernacular so com the common man couldn't read the bible in um, his native language you know it was only available in latin and that's something that only the priests could read. So you had this priestly class of people who mediated the the knowledge, this you know, the, the doctrines of the Catholic Church to the people, and they alone had the ability to actually discern these sacred texts. Because they, they couldn't um, they could only um, only they could speak Latin. The people couldn't. Um, and there was oppression as well. And one of the things which really sparred, um, spurred Martin Luther into action in kickstarting the Reformation and the, the 95 Theses and so on. Actually, we're coming up to Reformation Day. I think it's the 31st of October. Um, but Martin Luther, he was spurred into action by John Tetzel coming around, a man called John Tetzel, who was telling people that if they loved their late uh, relatives they were burning in purgatory and they could free up some of that time in purgatory by donating money to the pope to these um, papal indulgences and they could get them time off purgatory or even they could get 
themselves time of purgatory. So this kind of giving to the church actually was almost you know more than the cross, more than Jesus's death and resurrection. And you know he had this phrase, John Tetzel, as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. That was his phrase, and, and that was what he was going around and preaching and getting people to give their hard-earned money to the Catholic Church in order to to free people from burning in, in purgatory. And it was a really a, a wicked thing, actually, that was happening. But there were many other problems as well with the uh, the medieval uh, Catholic Church. So, for example, um, the the idea of penance. Now, this was based on a um, a translation into the Latin text, which the Catholic Church sort of saw as authoritative, um, for, of one verse which trans mistranslated "repent" as "do penance." Um, and um, and when Erasmus published his Greek New Testament, um, he he sort of gone back to the best sources that were available at the time. The Greek was um, what the New Testament was originally written in. It wasn't written in Latin. It was translated. Um, so when Erasmus published the Greek New Testament, um, he didn't think that he was doing anything kind of, you know, um, <laughs> anything against the Catholic Church. But actually, people like Martin Luther went back to the, the text of the New Testament and thought, oh, hold on a second. You know, we've been told one thing, but actually the Bible says another thing. And they began to, to put the pieces together and to realise that they'd been sold this kind of this lie, really. Um, and so Luther and many other people then started translating the Bible into vernacular languages, into German, into English, so that people could read it and understand it for themselves. And when people started to read and understand the Bible for themselves, that's when things started to change. And that's when the, the Reformation movement kind of grew. And it, it was massive. And But that's it, it was actually... Um, it happened by empowering ordinary people to make decisions and understand things for themselves. It was you know, the printing press, leaflets and tracts could be printed. Um, you know, lots of things could be printed to kind of aid this argument and, um, um, you know, discuss what the Bible did actually say. Um, so, you know, it was huge and it, it came from this you know, undermining the, the, the priestly authority of this, this you know, the clerisy. Um, where only the priests had the knowledge by, by actually giving ordinary people the power to understand and to look into things for themselves. So the question that I, I have as I've been thinking about this is how have we managed to get into the situation now where people are unwilling to trust the evidence of their own eyes and logic and instead rely on the science and the political establishment. When back at the Reformation, you know, we were sort of given back the power to, to think. And I think actually we've we've kind of taken a step backwards, really, although not in, in the same the same way. But when it comes to the experts um, that, you know, I think universities, for example, I think you know, 50 percent of young young people going to university um, and, you know, many of our politicians are most of them and many of the media class, journalists and so on, they've all been through university. And I think what university does is it sort of inculcates in you a desire to trust the experts. You know, that university is rather than about, you know, discovering things for yourself and thinking about things for yourself. It's about learning what the experts think. 
And I wonder if that's part of the problem, you know, that, that universities have become a place for conformism rather than a place for actual intellectual, honest intellectual exploration. You know, it's actually about, you know, submitting to what the, this body of knowledge is. And perhaps in some ways that's a good thing, um, but in other ways I think it's really undermined the, the quest for knowledge. And, you know, I think part of the reason why the church has not challenged the narrative is because many of church leaders come from this university educated kind of um, class or whatever you want to, to call it. Um, and, you know, ha have this kind of implicit belief in the trust in, in the experts, even though um, we should, as Christians, know that experts cannot be trusted because of exactly as the article said, you know, they're as flawed as the rest of us. So, you know, should be questioned and should be interrogated for the truth rather than just trusted. Um, and, you know, I think even for people who haven't been to university, I do think there is, um, you know, the fact that on TV, because the media now kind of operates in this way, that we're always having experts to talk on TV. You know, we have panels of experts. We have... Um, you know, on the BBC, on the mainstream media, always interviewing experts or at least experts with a particular view, not generally, you know, experts who, who contradict each other, but who, whose views are in line with the mainstream narrative. I think it just, even if you haven't been to university, you know, over time you just get this idea that we should just listen to the experts and and listen to what they say because, you know, I'm just a little person, I don't understand the science, I can't think for myself. So the media, I think, just enforce this narrative that we need to listen to the experts, this new clerisy. And um, I think what we need to do, we need to get back to people thinking for themselves. We need to get back to rigorous debate. We need to get back to actually questioning things and to asking and interrogating, you know, what is the case? You know, let me think about that for myself. Let me you know, see the logic for myself. Let me, you know, look at the evidence. Let me look at the data. Let me be persuaded rather than simply told uh, what to think. So um, that's what I think we need to happen. There's a new clarity at the moment and we need to release people from that. We need to get people back to thinking for themselves. So the final thing that I want to talk about is about um, looking into the darkness and not being overly pessimistic. So on Tuesday night, I had um, there were had a yeah, group of people around the sort of Bible study group I, I'm that I run, but um, you know we just sort of came around for a chat and we were talking about things going on in the world and I think most of the people in the group are quite you know on board with the stuff that I, I talk about here. Um, but I just, as we were having that, I mean, I was very pessimistic. And um, I'll be honest with you, wine had been consumed. So, you know, that may have had a little bit to do with it. But but actually, you know, I, I, I do think that people like me, um, if you're watching this, maybe people like you as well, one of our typical sort of um, attitudes is, oh, just this attitude that things are just getting worse and worse. You know, I'm deeply frustrated and angry with the things wrong with the world at the moment and I, I can see that so much is is wrong and I'm just really fed up with it all and I think that that all just came out my frustration just all came out on Tuesday evening and um, yeah but the thing is it's really it's not right to be so pessimistic 
yesterday in our uh, midweek service at the church we sang a hymn and it's a hymn I picked but as uh, as we sang it I kind of thought oh this is a this is a rebuke for me being overly pessimistic uh, the last verse of this hymn this is thy hand O God has guided and this is the last verse of of that hymn thy mercy will not fail us nor leave thy work undone with thy right hand to help us thy victory shall be won and then by all creation thy name shall be adored and this shall be their anthem one church one faith one lord as i sang that i just thought it was wrong of me to be so pessimistic and you know this is this is the thing it just made me think you know that as christians it's it's a really difficult thing to do um you know i think christians need to to both look into the darkness and not to not to try and lighten it you know because we know that there is real evil there is real darkness in the world and you know and actually i think christians should be people who see the darkness perhaps more than others you know because we know the darkness that lies there we know the depths of the human heart we know that satan is real we know that evil exists and you know we we know that there is real darkness on the other hand um we should we should know that the the um that light has overcome the darkness you know as that the the famous reading from John chapter 1 now you may know this from christmas time um John 1 verse 5 the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it and again you know that's something which is so true and it's so easy to forget you know it's so easy to kind of look at the darkness and be pessimistic but forget that the light has overcome the darkness and will overcome the darkness that that the darkness is not you know is not kind of um you know final some people just try to to minimize the darkness and i think you know you can see this happening that some people just try and say oh no it's not you know the darkness is not real that um you know that that, that whatever's happening in the world no it's not that bad really and you know just try and look on the bright side all the time and i think that's not right i mean i don't mean that it's it's not wrong to look on the bright side but you know we mustn't paper over the darkness that that exists in the world at the same time i think and this is the temptation that i tend to fall into some people kind of look at the darkness and don't look at the power of god and this is where i think you know we have to try and, and hold both things together as hard as that is we have to try and hold both of those things together that you know we we um we need to remember that yes the darkness is deep and and you know there is a real power of evil in the world and in human hearts and you know we we mustn't minimize that but it has been defeated and will be defeated and that's something we absolutely need to hold together there's a verse from from Romans which i've been um thinking about you know just how do we how do we manage to do that what what should we practically do and i'm just going to finish with this this one verse this is romans 12:21 do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good that's how that's how we overcome the evil in the world but at the end of the day um you know what what we've got to do is we've got to trust that the light overcomes the darkness in the end and we've got to just keep on looking to the light you know keep on loving keeping on doing good and um i've just been really struck at the last few few months just how 
COVID has set people against each other. You know that it's set friend against friend, um, parent against child, brother against brother, and, and so on. You know, work colleague against work colleague. It's divisive. These vaccine passports, um, you know, that it's, it's terrible the way that it's set people against each other. What we need to do is to, to love and to, to embrace uh, one another. You know, we need to we need to come together and we need to love and and that's what we need to do not over overcome the darkness with more darkness and sadly i think if you're pessimistic that's what we'll we'll try and do you know but actually if if we trust that the light has overcome the darkness then we can love we can trust and we can seek to do what is good despite all the darkness in the world so that's my my little reflection um to to finish with um i'm going to finish um i'm going to finish with a prayer um, because, um, well, I think if they can do it on a reverent, then I can do it too. Um, and uh, I think it's good to do actually finishing with a little reflection. So I'm going to just take a moment to, to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that the light, although um, there is great darkness in the world, especially at the moment, we thank you that the light uh, overcomes the darkness. And I pray that you would help us to overcome evil with good not to be drawn into to being pessimistic, to doing what is evil, but to, instead to overcome evil with good. We pray that you would give us strength to be able to do that day by day. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much, everyone, for joining me today for Sacred Musings. Um, I hope that you appreciated this slightly more brief, um, well, it probably wasn't brief actually by the time I've done it all, but it, it was a bit more kind of um, rushed than it normally would be. So um, I hope that you appreciated it. Do feel free to leave a comment on uh, YouTube. And if you're on YouTube as well, don't forget to the thumbs up as well. I do appreciate that. And um, if you'd like to support me, then you can do that with Buy Me A Coffee. Um, I've got a page there and you can go and, you know, um, contribute if you would like to um, but I just appreciate all of your support and, and everything and um, yeah, it's just great to be among people who are like-minded and encouraging one another and I'm glad to just play my small part in, in doing that. Thanks so much everyone, I'll see you again soon but till then, God bless.